Welcome to Crosswalk and welcome to Faith by Design, the new series that we're in. We've got a couple short announcements today that we want to go over before we begin. We've just discovered that if you put in a request for membership transfer over the last few months, it was probably not processed. Our web form became disattached from its email address, and therefore all of those things have disappeared. We're looking for them, but we haven't found them. We just noticed this when we made a change in the form and got a bunch of requests for membership transfer and professions of faith over the last week or so. So we recognize that we have made a mistake. We thought that membership transfers, transfers had just dried up due to COVID-19, but that seems not to be the case. So if you tried to transfer your membership and haven't heard anything from us, please resubmit the form on the website. We thank you for that and thank you for your patience through all of this. Also, we want you to know that we are committed to continuing the conversation of race, racism, and, and that context over the next few months and weeks and months and weeks on all of our platforms. Sometimes it will be like last week's interview with Pastor Kelly from Mount Rubidoux Church, or it will be on the Today's Presence podcast with Sam Lenore and myself. And another avenue in which we want to address these concerns and realities is in our small groups. Because of COVID, as you know, we have moved our small group meetings to Zoom. And therefore, we are going to engage this conversation intentionally with facilitators that can carry these conversations forward. So what we want you to do is be on the lookout for social media announcements and announcements on our websites throughout our campuses as we hope to get them started in the next week or the next few weeks. We are blessed to do the hard work of loving well together. So thank you for being with us on this journey. Now, when I was working in healthcare, I was working in community benefit and health equity. I had the opportunity to learn from some of the greatest innovation and design consultants. You see, and you may know the story, but my office was in the Center for Strategy and Innovation. So I kind of got invited to these meetings. I was lucky to be able to sit at the feet of many who have spent their lives looking for the best possible end result of whatever it is they're working on, and then designing their way to get there. Much like an architect, we can sketch out what our lives of faith might look like, even if it is just a napkin scribble. And then we go back to our proverbial desks and we begin to reverse engineer to find the path forward. Now listen, as I would sit and listen and learn from these organizations and consultants and individuals, I would always think about how this could apply to other things beyond buildings and software design and healthcare. I kept seeing correlations and applications between this kind of thinking and the way we design, or really don't design, our lives of faith. So I want you to take a moment today, at some point, and I want you to dream about what your faith might and could and can be. If you use a word like strong, make sure to unpack it. I want to have a strong faith. Well, what does that mean exactly if you want to have a strong faith? Is it the ability to see hope in a dark tunnel? Is it the ability to stand up for your convictions as they coincide with the convictions of Jesus? There's lots of different ways to unpack it, but you have to be specific. If you use a word like, I want my faith life to be consistent, unpack that as well. Does that mean your spiritual practices become habits and that your prayer life 
is scheduled into the rest of your weekly life? Does it mean that you fast on Tuesday? Does it mean that you are constantly going towards the heart of God? Be specific. And what if you said, I want my faith life to be simple? What would that entail? A deep study of scripture to see the dramatic words of Jesus and how simply he spoke of and to the Father? And maybe you've done this before with your faith, but what I'm gonna ask you to do is to begin to see what it could be and begin to work backwards from where you want to be to where you are. Have you thought about what is reasonable for you and for your life? Too often, when asked a question about your spiritual life, the answer is simply a, well, it could be better type of answer. Now, while that's real, it may not be all that helpful. I'd like to pray more. I'd like to read my Bible more. Some of us have this idea that if we just got up an hour earlier and read our Bible, I don't know if that works for everybody. But rarely, if ever, do I hear, I want to be closer to the heart of God. And I have wondered why that is. Perhaps we think of our spiritual lives as something that, well, something that we do. Prayer, fasting, study, worship, acts of service. All of these things make up portions and parts of our spiritual lives. And of course, they are all important. They are all vital. But is that it? However, maybe we should think of our spiritual lives as something that we actually are. Spiritual practices are important. And trust me, we're going to speak about those a lot. Don't get me wrong. But do we have something that is fundamentally wrong in our understanding of faith that relegates faith to simply the act of doing and not being? Now, that can be the opposite and a problem too. But let me ask you this question. Are you a person of faith or are you a faithful person? And what is the difference? This is how I'm going to define it. And there's probably lots of different definitions, but a person of faith is someone that sees the world through the lens of Jesus, who is working to align their heart with the heart of God. And a faithful person is someone who is enacting that vision of the world that is given through Jesus, through their actions, behaviors, and even their courage. As I design my life of faith, I have to make sure that I understand what my foundation is first, right? Whatever house we're gonna build, we need to know our foundation. For me, it's scripture. Scripture opens my eyes to the heart of God. It helps me understand his character and it gives me a tangible place to start. Now, that's not to say the Holy Spirit and community and worship, all those things are important, but scripture has a, an important place to play. If scripture is your foundation, then you have committed to a lifelong journey of discovery. This is not a simple task and can, can't really be delineated with just a list of doctrines. You see, while those are important, and I'm not diminishing those, they're not as important as continually going to the well of scripture and drinking deeply. That is my foundation. And that is what I hope to, to message to you. You see, what I strive to be is a person of faith and to be faithful. I want to be so close to the heart of God that I can't tell its difference from my heart. And I want to be deeply committed to making what God sees in heaven become tangible on this earth. How do we say it? On earth as it is in heaven. Man, such great words. But such difficult execution. There was a time back at the beginning 
We're on earth as in heaven. Wasn't so difficult to understand, really. See, Adam and Eve cared for a garden. And that garden had elements of heaven within it. In fact, God found himself so comfortable there that he would come in the cool of the evening and relax with his creations. You all know the story. This is nothing new, right? In my house, my favorite time of the day through all of this COVID situation has been when things begin to cool down in the evening and we all make our way out to our back patio to just kind of hang out. While I wouldn't exactly call it edenic, it is a moment when we sit and laugh and chat together as a family. It is a moment for us to recognize one another, the bond that we have as a family and to even rest a bit together. We Sabbath together there. And I can imagine that God liked his time in Eden much the same way. He couldn't wait to get down there every day. Unfortunately, as we know, there was a break in that rhythm, right? There was a pause in those really treasured moments. Why was there a pause? Well, because Adam and Eve were tempted and they were tempted, oddly enough, by what God had already given them. That's strange, isn't it? You see, he had given them his image and the temptation was that they could become more like, says scripture, they could become more like God. You see, it is tempting to think that the image of God that has been given to each one of us is not enough. And I want to make this abundantly plain today. The image of God was given, is given to each and every one of us. He made us in his image so that we might be able to show the world a particular part and parcel of God. He made us each one to be his children in all of our beauty, all of our skin color and tone, our language and culture. We are his children. We will not, I don't believe, get to heaven and be made all to be the same. Rather, the beauty that God has given to each of us in our skin will remain made perfect without blemish, but still recognizable as who and what we were created to be. That is the image of God in each and every one of us. You see, Adam and Eve, they succumbed to the temptation that the image of God placed in them by God was simply not enough. So they were tempted to want to get more, to become more like God. That temptation was real and palpable to Adam and Eve. And temptation is still like that for us today. Today's text speak of temptation and puts it in its rightful place. So we're going to learn a little about it today. Remember, last week, James reminds us that we are to rejoice in our tests and in our trials as they can increase our joy, specifically as we see God working in our trials and tribulations. But today, our texts lead us into the realm of temptation. So let's begin. I'm reading from James chapter 1, verses 13 through 18 from the New Living Translation. It begins like this. And I remember, now and remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Now, this is a strong statement of James' belief that we are not tempted by God, nor does God himself succumb to temptation. 
We see that when we see this, right? When Jesus was dealing with the temptations in Luke 4 in the wilderness, what we also see in that story of Jesus resisting temptation is that the temptations were very real for Jesus because they consisted of things that were tempting to Jesus. And I know that sounds super obvious, but we forget it sometimes. I always remind people that temptation is tailor-made for you. I can't turn stones into bread, but I can be lured into a contentious conversation where I act less than Christ-like. I can't jump from a high spire on top of a temple and have angels catch me, but I can be unwilling to listen to a brother or sister because I am tempted not to want to change my perspective. Those temptations are real for me. Temptations are specifically built for you, and you know that they are. And that's what makes them so difficult. But understand, God doesn't ever do this to you. They will never come from God. Temptation is never a righteous test coming from our Savior. Rather, it is an opportunity for our basest desires to harden your heart against the things of God. Know this to be true. This is really important. Verse 14, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. So what does temptation really drive us away from? There's a few things. First of all, temptation drives us away from our family. And this is true. If we are letting temptation get the best of us, it will ultimately drive us away from our family, either by shame, by anger, or by an unwillingness to change when it comes right down to it. We have to separate ourselves from our loved ones because it becomes too hard to bear the conversations and the lies we have to live. When you isolate, know you are failing. The second thing that temptation drives us away from is our community. On a larger scale, when we are led into temptation, we often isolate ourselves from the communities of care that help us stay on the right path. It is easy for us to stay away from people who want to help us, especially when we don't want help. Again, isolation is a great tool that is used to create a wedge and solidify these temptations in our lives. The last thing is our God. Temptation always isolates us from God in order that we would begin to change our minds about who He is and how He is for us and not against us. One of, our, one of the strongest temptations that any of us might feel is that God is not with us. But know that this does not come from God. It comes from our own insecurities, our fears, and our internal thoughts that we are not good enough for God. Don't buy into it. For when we buy into the idea that God is not for us or that we need to separate ourselves from God because if we don't, we will be telling him something that he doesn't know about ourselves, we are in real danger. So, don't buy into the idea that God doesn't want to be with you, even as you struggle with temptations. In fact, that's probably where you need him the most. Verse 15, these desires gave birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Hmm. So these desires are things that, if we allow them to grow, give birth to bad behavior and bad actions. And those bad actions can lead to really detrimental and horrible things. And even more, 
as it grows and as it is allowed to grow, it gives birth, as the scriptures say, to death. So listen, because this is really important. When we allow our biases, our fears, and our secret sins and temptations to fester, we are allowing death to grow amongst us. Now, I, I know you're not killers. None of you are interested in seeing death occur more than it already does. In fact, you're probably deeply troubled by seeing death in any way, shape, or form. However, when we do not face the temptations that grow into sin in our lives, death is the ultimate result, whether it's our death or creating a culture of pain and suffering around us. I don't know about you, but I'm seeing way too much death in the world today. In fact, there's always too much death, but a lot right now. I sometimes feel like I'm unable to get my head around the pain and the suffering, the oppression, the racism, the hatred, and the systems that grind people under them. And maybe we're just becoming more and more aware of this right now, and that's probably a good thing. It is a good thing. But I have to remember, it comes from somewhere. It comes from hearts that have isolated themselves from God. And it comes from people allowing death to reign in their hearts, allowing the worst of us to reign in our hearts. Because when there is nothing else to fill our hearts, we fill our hearts with the vilest of things. And that's a hard word. But James continues in this vein a little bit. He wants to give us a little bit of understanding. He says, so don't be misled, my brothers and sisters. Now, he's not starting a new point. He's trying to emphasize the point. Whatever is good and, is, and perfect is a gift coming to us from God, our Father, who created all the lights in heaven. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Love those words. James is wanting us to know that those things that bring death, bring isolation, stop conversations, and create divisions, those are not things that are coming from God because God created the light and that light never changes. It doesn't even shift from where it's shining. It causes no shadows. So when we find ourselves falling into behavior that does not honor God and his image and his image in other people, we know we are falling into temptation. Know that when we find ourselves isolating from community, from family, and from God, we are allowing ourselves to let temptation get the best of us. And temptation allowed to grow becomes action, becomes death. Listen, have you ever had a time in your life when you feel like God hates you? And I know that sounds hard, but have you? Sometimes we go through that. And if not hate, because that may be too strong a word, at least that you that he felt very little towards you, very little love, very little attention, and that you are just kind of out there on your own to figure it all out. I mean, I felt that way sometimes. We, we have all had those times in the wilderness. And if the model of Jesus and temptation that we see in Luke 4 is any indication, then we know that you will be most tempted at your time of most vulnerability. When you are at your most scared, your most forlorn, and your most desperate, that's when temptation comes because temptation has great timing. And once you've been isolated from family, from communities, and even from God, that is when you're going to be hit the hardest. So here is a promise 
that you can hold on to. And I don't have to bring it from another text because it comes in the very next verse. Verse 18, and we finish out our pericope with it. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. In our series guide, there's a discussion on who this is for. Is this for believers only? Is this for just a certain group of people? Well, I believe that this text shows us incredible inclusivity in that we all have the opportunity to be born of God through Jesus, who is the true word. I believe scripture is a deeply important part of this, the word. But when Jesus is called ha-logos, the word, in John 1.1, we realize that everyone can be birthed anew through him through the true word. This is one of the reasons we need to be loving well in all that we do. We are the conduit through, we are the conduit that others will know who Christ is. And this promise that we are his most prized possession is incredible for us. Think about what you value the most in life, right? What is your most prized possession? possession. Chances are, if you have kids, it's going to be your kids. Spouses, man, of course. Family, yeah. Friends, without a doubt. These are things that we hold dear to us. But what about everyone? Because this seems to be what it is called for. I'm serious. Who are God's prized possessions? If it's me, then it's you too. If it's you, then it's your brother and sister that you know or that you don't know. Those things that divide us can only be united through a love that transcends, through ears that hear and eyes that see. Those things that say that's not quite as prized a possession to God is just as prized through the hard work of understanding, being unwilling to allow what the world says is true about one another we can begin to change our hearts. Listen, as we design our lives of faith, we have to have an understanding that that God desires, that God's desires for us, excuse me, that God's desires for us are much greater than our desires even for ourselves. What you think you want and need in life are very small compared to what God can do for you and with you. So how are you going to begin to build your life of faith? What will it look like? I want you to spend some time today thinking about it, finding that napkin that you can scribble on what it will look like. This series, as we continue on, we're only in the second week, there's 14 weeks. This will stretch you. It will stretch me. And it will grow us together in love. It has to. Because that is the hope of the world. I believe that the concept of loving well, that what Jesus calls to do, love God, love one another, I believe that that's going to transcend everything that's happening in the world today. That that will help fix what is broken in the world today. And this transformation doesn't begin systemically, although there's lots of things that need to be dealt with. This begins with our hearts. And we've been talking about that for a while. 
Our lives of faith are generated from the heart that God gives us. And then we begin to build a life that helps us create that house that we kind of want to live in. So again, I want you to take some time today. What will your faith look like? What will your life of faith look like? And how will you be faithful to that? It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be exactly the way it's supposed to be. That's how we work backwards. Temptation is always going to be a part of who we are. Temptation is going to always be a part of our experience as Christians in the world today. And and you need to be present in your mind when you are most vulnerable to that temptation happening. And it can show up in lots of different ways, the way we treat our family, our friends, people we know and people that we don't know. So you've got to be on the lookout. And this is why we ask God to search our hearts. Because when we fall into patterns that are unhealthy, when we fall into patterns that are divisive, those things, as scripture says, they're not of God. Working towards unity, working towards reconciliation, working towards the beauty that is all of God's people, living not only in peace and harmony, but in equity. This is what I believe that we're called to. And as we build our lives of faith, knowing that that's one of the outcomes helps us understand how to get there. I'm excited to go on this journey with you as always. Over the next few weeks, I'm actually not gonna be preaching. I'm gonna hand off the pulpit a little bit because I've got a little bit to do with my family and uh, take care of them. But I'll be not only watching, I'll be engaging and you'll still see me. But listen, I want you to know how much you are loved by God because you are his prized possession. Let's pray with that thought in our mind today. God of grace, Lord of mercy, God who seeks all people, Lord, thank you for the way that you've created us. Lord, and be with us in temptation. We know that you don't lead us there. You never do. But but be with us in the temptations that we deal with, knowing that We are such prized possessions that you don't want to lose us to that temptation, to those actions, and ultimately to that death. You want something different. So Lord, may we be cognizant of that. May we know that. And as we engage in conversations across the board in our lives, Lord, may we honor you and honor the image of you in the people that we interact with. Lord, thank you for being a God of grace, a God of mercy. Thank you for being a God of compassion, a God of justice. And thank you for being for us and not against us. We pray these things in your holy name, the name of Jesus. Amen.